This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by AXA Equitable Life. That's AXA.com. Advice, retirement, and life insurance. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Michael Bungay-Stainer. He is the founder and CEO of Box of Crayons, a company that helps organizations do less good work and more great work. He's also the author of The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. So welcome, Michael. Hey, John. We've been friends for over a decade now. So I'm stoked to be on the podcast and I love all your books. So thank you for talking about mine. I really appreciate it. Well, we will not have a decade go between our next episode. <laughs> I like that plan. So when I was starting to, um, you know, write the intro like we do, I did CEO Box of Crayons, a company that helps organizations do less. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> but do less good work and more great work makes a ton of sense. But uh, I had to stumble on that a little bit. So yeah, the coaching habit um, and and lead is also in the subtitle. Um, it's certainly become very popular, hasn't it, to talk about leadership being coaching? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, it's, um, I mean, coaching has been one of those words that's been around forever. And it's one of those words that everybody's kind of heard of and kind of knows what we're talking about. And, um, certainly in organizational life, big company, small company, there's been people familiar with the whole idea of getting a coach, you know, help me out, get a coach. If I'm leading a small company, it helps me scale and grow and focus and the like. Our focus at Box of Crayons is to make coaching be seen not as a profession, somebody you can hire, but as a core leadership behavior. It's a way you show up in the world. And the way we define it, just to make it kind of easy for people, is we say, look, we, we define it in a really behavioral way. And it's this, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? Because most people we found are advice giving maniacs. They, they love it. And they default to that as their form of leadership and guidance because they've spent their whole life getting rewarded for having the answer and they want to be helpful and they thought, this is how I'd be helpful. And while there's always a place for advice for us, we're like, can you just slow down that rush to advice? Can you be curious a little bit longer, ask better questions, and that's going to elevate the way that you lead? You know, one of the things that struck me in rereading this, I actually read it um, some time ago, and in rereading it more closely for this interview, I sort of got, you know how when you go back and reread a book and you go, that wasn't in there the last time I read it. Um, and, <laughs> totally. And the, the idea that people don't actually want you to answer their questions, that just floored me right. because I think I've spent my whole life thinking, well, if they came and asked me a question and I know the answer, right. then, then they want the answer. And that blew me away. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those that they do and they don't. So yeah, lots of people have trained their bosses to be the person who has the answer. And that's kind of a comfortable collusion because, like, you know what, it's a whole lot easier if I just go to that person and go, just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it because that saves us all a whole lot of trouble and effort later on. But there's a price everybody pays in that equation. The, the boss pays that price because they become the bottleneck and they become overwhelmed and they... And they, they feel like I'm trying to do everybody else's job as well as my own. The person who's asking for the answer pays a price because they don't get a chance to grow and to learn and to feel like they have autonomy and mastery and purpose. Those are the three drivers that Dan Pink talks about in his book, Drive. 
And the organization, no matter what size, pays a price because you are training people not to think, but just to follow orders and follow advice. And it's not always the best advice. So there is one part of the people that go, you know, sometimes I just want the answer. And that's true for everybody. But I think for the people who listen to this podcast, these are people who are going, look, I've got a sense of autonomy. I've got a sense of growth. I want to shape my own life. I want to take responsibility for my own freedom. And those are people who have a hunger for ask me a question so I can figure some stuff out myself. Well, I'm 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 going to admit to the public listening here that <laughs> you know I was one of those people that pe- you know my team would come and ask me and I I would answer questions. Sometimes I would go on eloquently for you know long extended periods <laughs> for of days time. for days. John would pontificate, <laughs> and then I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try out what Michael said. And so I started having my staff, you know, ask me those same questions. And I, and I literally just, I don't think this is actually one of your questions. It's the spirit of one of your questions. Um, I would yeah. just say, what would you do? Nice. <laughs> what do you think? And it was amazing. They always had the right answer. And I was like, well, <laughs> you should take on more accountability <laughs> right. for doing that then. Um, and, I love and, that. and we actually made your book, um, a book, we do a book club. Uh, on on my with my staff and we made your book a uh, book club and so now you know now when somebody asks me a question and I write back what would you think all I get back is a smiley face um, yeah you know, that's perfect because and part, part of what I love about this John is the genius around one of the barriers to, to coaching is people feel like it's this black box arcane art where you know something mysterious happens and for us like it's, it's not that difficult and it's a few good questions, ask them well, stay curious. And what happens in a perfect world is everybody understands what's happening. So just as you're saying, you ask a question, you get a smiley face back, which says, ah, you're doing that coaching thing. And you know what? That's actually the right thing to have done. So well played, sir. <laughs> and they, they figure it out themselves. So that's perfect. Now, another application, we're talking about this in the context of leadership, which of course it is. But mm-hmm. as I read it, I was also like, hey, that's like a way better way to work with your clients and to sell. Um, You know, how often do we show up and, you know, assume what the client wants or thinks or is doing and tell them what to do without really knowing what's actually going on? I mean, honestly, anybody in the world of sales knows that the key problem people have when they sell is they start pushing their stuff too soon. They're kind of like, I don't know what your problem is, but I have the answer for you. Let me tell you all the benefits and this, that, and the other of this widget that I'm trying to sell you. And what's pal and you know, great salespeople are people who are basically great questioners. You know, they're like, I'm going to keep asking until I figure out what the real thing is you're struggling with. And then I'm going to find a way of framing what I've got to be the solution to the thing that you're wrestling with. So absolutely, um, the, these questions, I mean, I wrote this for pe- people who are managers and leaders, but what I have loved getting is emails from people who are parents <laughs> and, and sports coaches and spouses and sales leaders. Basically, if you interact with other human beings, the mantra, you should stay curious a little bit longer, you should rush to action advice giving a little bit more slowly is a pretty good mantra. You don't have to have a direct reporting position with each other. Yeah, and it's 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 almost like I was talking about a staff member, but in a sales 
situation, you know, it's almost like you let them sell themselves. You know, they you mm-hmm. you add value by asking questions nobody else is asking them, and they ultimately almost come to the conclusion, <laughs> you know, on their own. And that's so much more powerful than us telling them the solution. Yeah, you know, John. The other day, I mean, this is probably twelve months ago. I happened to be in a small group setting with Alan Mulally, who was the CEO of Ford, and who came into Ford when Ford had lost. $12 billion in a year. So a billion dollars a month for 12 months in a row. And the first person brought in to lead the Ford company that wasn't a member of the Ford family. So it was, a, it was an act of desperation by the Ford company. And Malali has been written up many times as one of these exemplary leaders. And when he talked to us about his style, he said, you know what? I never, I never gave my opinion on challenges that my team were facing. Because I knew that even if I had an idea or a thought or opinion that was slightly better than the other one being brought to the table, the benefit of having that owned and implemented by the person who came up to it outweighed my idea being slightly better. So he basically went through his whole process, which is turning around Ford, <laughs> losing a billion dollars a month, by, by resisting giving advice and, uh, and creating the space for his team to figure stuff out himself. And I was thinking to myself when I heard that, I'm like, well, if ever there was a temptation to go, let me take control here, <laughs> let me, because I'm, I'm on the hook, and I figure if Alan Mulally can do it, then everybody can do it, because I don't think a single person here is currently losing $250 million per week <laughs> for, the, for a year. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by AXA Equitable Life. It's time we start giving life insurance the credit it deserves. That's because life insurance can be so much more than protection for you and your family. It also helps you live, keep, and potentially build more cash value over time. To learn more, go to AXA.com. Well, and I think it's, you know, a lot of people, when you use examples of really big companies, sometimes people start, small business owners start to say, well, you know, that's yeah. You know, they've got an executive team. Somebody meets with so and so. I mean, but I think this is actually more relevant in the small organization because you know you've got five people on your team. You know, if you don't have everybody working together, everybody being coached, everybody kind of on the same page, mm-hmm. I think it's more devastating than having a rogue, you know, division manager <laughs> that that's not a very good leader. Well, that's right. And, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I run a small company. I have, I have 20 people in my, my team. And so we live this all the time. And I'm the founder. And for the folks who are listening in who are the founders and the leaders of their companies, that temptation to be the person with the answer is so much stronger because, after all, you founded this company. It's got your name on the, on the plate somewhere. And uh, the temptation for the people on your team to go to you as the person with the answer is strong as well. But you've hired these people because of their brains and what they can bring to your organization. And you know that if you had the opportunity to tap into the full potential of what these people can bring your small business, your small business will flourish. The challenge with being more coach-like, you know, at Boxer Crowns, we we say we don't train people to be coaches. We train managers and leaders to be more coach-like is not just that you've got a long-term habit of giving advice and you've been you know, rewarded and given badges and all that for, for years. It's that fundamentally, and this is the rub of it, asking a question 
is actually giving up control to the other person. Because when you're giving advice, it feels pretty good. You feel smart, you feel like you're adding value, you feel like you've got the high status in the relationship, you feel like you're the big person in this conversation. And even though your advice isn't always as good as you think it is, and half the time you're solving the wrong problem, it still feels a pretty comfortable place to be. But when you ask a question, you have this moment where you're like, okay, was that a good question? <laughs> Did they understand the question? What happens if they give me an answer that I don't understand or I do understand, but it's crazy? Where, where's this conversation now going? You're, you're literally empowering that other person, but behind empowerment is this insight of you giving up power. Because I know there's nobody in this call going, I'm against empowerment. I want my team to feel empowered. But when the rubber hits the road, it's like, that means you giving up some control, giving up some power. And being more coach-like, asking questions is one of the most powerful ways of doing that. But you have to sit with the discomfort of going, I'm allowing this person to take control and I'm playing a bigger game. I'm playing for a future state of success rather than trading that against an immediate sense of control and let me take this on and let me give you my answer. Yeah, and I think that's a little... I'm not saying it's really counterintuitive, but maybe it feels like that because you said it feels mm -hmm. like you're giving up, but it's almost like that we're giving up control for like the good of the long-term game. Yeah, exactly. You're playing, you're playing a bigger, smarter game. And that means you're giving control and power and autonomy and mastery and purpose to those people on your team. So you get the most of them. And so they can fully commit to who you are and what your organization's becoming. So we've been skirting around some of this, but I, I probably should let you kind of, the, the, the book is really organized around seven questions and the use of these seven questions yeah. and, and when and how and why. So, so maybe I should let you give kind of a global overview then of, you don't have to go question by question, but just a, a global sure. overview of sort of the methodology, I guess. Yeah, so the, the starting point is to go, let's make coaching unweird. Because for lots of people, coaching comes with a whole bunch of baggage. You know, like, uh, I've met life coaches and I don't want to be a life coach. You know, I, I executive coaching, I don't understand that. Or I was traumatized by a sports coach who made me do push-ups in the mud. So it's like, let's make coaching an unweird, everyday leadership behavior. And let's make it as simple and as accessible and as practical as possible. So after much going back and forth, I came down to seven questions. I went, look, if you have seven good questions and you ask them well, you will be more coach-like. You will elevate your leadership. And the, coaching, the questions are uniformly simple and powerful and challenging. So I'll give you some examples. There's the coaching bookend. So these are questions number one and number seven in, uh, in the book. And one of our core principles around coaching, John, is to say, look, if you can't coach somebody in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time to coach them. And that means that you've got to get into the real conversation fast and you've got to finish it strong. And that's what the coaching bookends are for. So the opening question or the kickstart question, as it's called in the book, is simply what's on your mind? And we found that what's on your mind works really well as a question because it is both open you know, it says to that other person, hey, you get to choose, but it's also focusing because it says to them, don't tell me everything. Don't give me a report out on everything that you've ever thought of in the last week. Tell me about what's important or exciting or worrying or overwhelming for you right now. Let's go there. So it's a way of accelerating quickly 
the real challenge. And then the, the closing question or the learning question comes with this insight that one of the most powerful things you can do as a leader is to teach your people, to help them learn. And to do that, you have to understand how people actually learn. They don't learn when you tell them stuff. They don't learn when they do stuff. They really learn when they have a moment to reflect on what just happened. And this is a learning question. And you simply ask, what was most useful or most valuable here for you? You know, and as an example, like we're almost done on this podcast. People are going, John, Michael, they're an awesome couple. They, they, they're so interesting. But this podcast becomes more valuable when I ask you, the listener, what was most useful or most valuable here for you? Because now you're forced to go back to all the stuff that John and I covered and go, I'm going to pull out A and B and C as the things that were most useful and most valuable for me. So now you have to work. And if you chose to post this on social media in some way, I'd get a chance to see that and go, oh, so all the things I talked about, this is what was most useful and valuable for people. So I'll talk more about that in my next podcast interview. And let's uh, use that as a segue to say, let's give away a couple of Michael's book, The Coaching Habit. And so all I want to ask you to do, and these uh, uh, instructions will be in the show notes as well, but uh, I, I really would like you to listen today and post on Twitter what was most useful for you about this podcast. And you, you can uh, uh, just tag me at duct tape. That's probably the easiest one. And, and Michael, you want to share yours? Is yours easy to share? Yeah, sure. My, my, my Twitter handle is at, uh, at box of crayons. At box of crayons. Okay. You had to think about that, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so uh, what was most useful for you um, from this interview? Uh, go ahead and tag me at duct tape and uh, we'll pick a couple really useful replies. And uh, we're going to contact you and send you a copy of Michael's book, which I'm holding my hand here. Um, I have an admission. So question number seven, uh, I had already made a note to talk about what was most useful for you. I have started yeah. to use this now. I do a lot of strategy sessions with uh, with clients, and at the end of those, I've started using that question, and it's amazing. Fantastic. It 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 sort of resells them on how much value they got, rather than me telling them. They sort of state it, um, and I've also gone as far as not in really big groups, but in small groups when I do speaking, uh, asking that at mm -hmm. the end of, of of my talk if it's a small enough group where we can really engage, um, and that's been a yeah. lot of fun too because. Uh, it's it's interesting and sometimes just to hear people's different perspectives of what they actually got <laughs> from it. And it sometimes is not exactly what I thought was the most important thing. So it's it's been really useful. Yeah, I love all of that. I do the same. You know, even when I'm speaking to a big group, I'll go, what was most useful or most valuable? Turn to the person next to you and share that with them. And just as you say, not only does it crystallize it for them, but hearing other people kind of, well, this is what I got out of it, just resells the value of the experience. So they walk away feeling better because of the time they've invested in being with you. And, of course, that serves your reputation as well. All right. I want to drill into another one. Um, number four, the foundation question. What the hell do you want anyway? <laughs> exactly. What do you want? You put, it, you put it in a kind of nice blunt way. Um, but we call, you know, I almost called this the goldfish question because when you ask somebody, so what do you want? They often get that kind of goldfish look on their face. You know, their eyes pop open and their mouth makes that kind of guppy guppy kind of sound or that expression. And I love this question. It's, and for me, this is the hardest question to, to wrestle with 
but really fundamental because when things are confusing or you feel discombobulated or knocked off your game or you're not sure what's happened or you're kind of emotionally riled up some way, you're angry or frustrated or, or sad, whatever it might be, it's a really powerful question to ask yourself, what do I want right now? It's a, way, it's a very powerful way of grounding yourself in the moment to go, all right, I'm, I'm feeling out of sorts, I'm a bit lost, I'm feeling off balance, what do I want? And what you find is an uh, finding that within you allows you to get clear on what your goal is, which makes it really clear what the next step for you to take is. But it's also really powerful in a coaching conversation because when you have a conversation with somebody and they're talking about whatever the challenge might be and you simply go, so I get all of that and what do you want here? What do you really want? You'll have that question land with, with power. With like, There'll be a silence as they wrestle with it. And once they see what they want, the doors of possibilities open up. And one of the challenges, you know, I'm just going off on a, on a sidetrack. I was thinking about why people don't give feedback and why feedback is so difficult and tricky for people. And they go, oh, you know, I don't want to get into these emotional conversations. But I actually think, John, that quite often it's because you haven't got clear on what you want. When you get know what you want, you know what you want to ask for, you know what outcome you're going for. And it kind of just makes the next steps that much more purposeful. Yeah, and I, I think that in some cases, you know, especially a, in a leader subordinate, you know, type of role, I think it really you're really giving somebody permission to stop beating mm -hmm. around the bush <laughs> because a lot of times they're right. just, can I say this? Can I not say this? I'm, you know, I'm talking in circles, and it's kind of like, wait a minute, what do you really want? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that, exactly. I think it gives permission. I think I love that. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so when I read through the list of questions, we're we're not going to cover any more. You're just going to have to pick up a copy of The Coaching Habit so that you can own all seven of these. Um, how do you sometimes I – mean, I mean, I think I could see the temptation to deliver these a little bit in a mechanical way. It's like, oh, Michael said sure. my third question should be blah, 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 and it doesn't really come off as sincere or maybe even appropriate in the situation. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. If if you're just using this as a kind of mechanical process to to drill people through, the answer, it's not going to do your relationship with that other person as much good as it might. Um, you know, when we teach our programs around coaching skills for managers and leaders, and we go, well, what what do we even mean by the word coaching? Often we'll get people to pair up, tell them about a time when they were well coached, and then distill from that experience what are the attributes of good coaching. And it turns out that it's not very technical at all. It's they were curious, they had my back, I felt it was a safe spot, um, and I felt they cared about me. That's what it boils down to. And built into all of this, because every tool can be used badly, but built into all of this is the assumption of coaching is going to be powerful, you showing up to be more coach-like will be powerful, if you are genuinely interested in that other person, if you genuinely want the best for them, if you genuinely want them to help figure out the next step. So if you're bored and you're doing your email and you're kind of looking out the window and you're like, yeah, whatever, I, what is the real challenge for you? It's going to be so-so. But if you're actually interested and kind of commit to caring for that person, then it's going to be that much more powerful. And in between the seven questions in the book, are just really short kind of like little takeaway chapters about how to ask a question well. 
And one of them is like, actually care about the question. Absolutely. So you have a lot of resources at thecoachinghabit.com. So you want to invite people to, uh, to find inside the book yeah. uh, videos and uh, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that John said, go out and get the book. And of course, I would love you to do that as well. But if you're, if you're like, I'm not sure yet, he hasn't quite sold me, go to thecoachinghabit.com and pillage it. I mean, you can download the first, I think, three chapters. There's a lot of videos and podcasts that we kind of connect to from the book. So they've got kind of context in the book. There's a couple of download papers that you can get there around habit building in particular. So there's just a ton of resources there. So if you're not up for the book, definitely go to the website and check that out. So people can also find more about Michael at boxofcrayons.com. But uh, obviously, you can find that from the coachinghabit.com as well. And we'll have all of this great info in the show notes. So, Michael, thanks for joining us. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you someday soon out there on the road. That sounds great, John. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. 